Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where Pastor Lauren Regeer opens God's Word each week to provide us with biblically-based teaching that helps you meet life head-on. Thank you for joining us, and may your hearts be blessed as God's Word is taught. And now, here is Pastor Lauren Regeer. Thank you, man. Amen. Someday in heaven, I'm going to sing like that. Those guys will let me stand by them up in heaven, I bet. And all of, all of us will be able to raise our voices and sing in perfect harmony there. And we're glad for those that can do it here. Amen. <laughs> what a wonderful thing it is to have good musicians. We're thankful for the songs of celebration at Easter time. All right, take your Bibles, please, this morning. We're looking at the theme of responses to the resurrection. Go to Luke chapter 18 as we begin Luke chapter 18. And we'll begin reading verse 31. Luke chapter 18 and verse 31. Great to have you here. It just is. It's just a a glorious thing to be surrounded by smiling, well-dressed saints on Easter Sunday. I I wanted to, Brother Monroe, you got to stand. You just got to, but I got to see this. Amen. Here's a soldier that can still fit into his uniform. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. Appreciate you coming this morning, and uh, great to have all of you here. As a preacher, sometimes I get asked uh, about the reliability of the Bible. Is this book really true? The book we hold in our hands, it's an ancient book written uh, over 1,600 years by 40 men, three continents, and uh, ancient languages. It's translated into English from Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. Uh, What hold does the Bible really have on my life today? Really? It's an old book. And, and, and is it really true? And these stories about ancient folks, why should they direct and have any kind of power in my life today? What distinguishes the Bible as true, better, or in a different class of literature than any other religious book in the world? Well, the answer to that is really contained in five words. The resurrection of its author. That was pretty weak. But there is no other author like the author of our Bible. Luke chapter 18, he reminds his disciples in verse 31 that he's going to do something no one else has ever done. Now, if you had a teacher like this who just happened to get up in class one day and say these words... Hopefully, somewhere you would mark this down as an important thing to remember. Listen, he's on his way to give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. He wants them not to be worried that uh, this is all within the plan of God because he, in three days, will rise again from the dead. Look at the text with me. Then he took, them to the tw- he took unto them the twelve and said unto, him, unto them, Behold, we go to Jerusalem. And all things are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. Isn't that great? Not one word of all the prophecies shall fail. For he, the Son of Man, shall be delivered of the Gentiles, shall be mocked, spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. 
There's not a verse here that says now 11 or 12 hands went up and said, explain that again, teacher. What did you just say? In fact, the next verse says what? None of them understood. In fact, they, they'd understood none of these things. The saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. I've entitled this sermon, Open Our Eyes, Lord. Many times during his ministry, the Lord predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection, but the people didn't get it. Their eyes were closed. Here we find another example, Christ on his way to Jerusalem just really days before he would give his life a ransom for many. We see in verse 31, in verse 32, and verse 33, he predicts his own resurrection. And he hadn't done this only here, but other times as well. I want to tell you something. No other religious leader in the history of the world has been able at his own word, by his own power, and by his own prediction, come back from the dead. Nobody else. This is a big deal. We have 2,000 years of history, and sometimes this fact becomes just so normal to us, especially in the church, that it, the impact of this statement isn't as large as it should be to us. But no one has ever been able to conquer death except Jesus. Only God can give life, and only God at His Word can conquer death. When the angels that guarded the empty tomb spoke to the ladies who came to uh, bring spices to the tomb Sunday morning to anoint his body, the angel said in Matthew 28, in fact, it'd be good for us to turn there because we'll be spending the balance of our time in that area of scriptural text. But Matthew chapter 28, what did the angel say? Verse 5. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye. Isn't that great? There's always tension and stress and panic on earth and pandemics, but there's never panic in heaven. Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here. He's risen as he said. But they, he uses a word there. He was crucified. Jesus the Son of God was crucified, not slightly bruised on the cross. He didn't just faint there or fall asleep during his execution. But ladies, he says, I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. Jesus did not escape torture, vilification, persecution, and ultimately death. Jesus came at this specific time in history. Rome was a killing machine. And the angel says, you seek Jesus, the one that was crucified, the crucified one. Romans never, ever, ever let a crucified victim descend from the cross alive or walk away from their own, cruci or their own crucifixion or execution. They had more than one form. But you never walked away from execution brushing your robes and saying, that wasn't that bad. They never lost a victim. They always accomplished the end, which was death. After days of suffering, often during this form of execution, uh, there would still be life in the one pinned to the cross with these large nails or spikes. 
And so the Roman soldiers would take a large wooden mallet and literally just break the legs of the one on the cross so that one would die, the criminal would die by asphyxiation. And if that didn't work, they would ultimately come by with a spear and drive it deep into the heart. It's called the death stroke. John 19 tells us that never a record of a person who could say, I survived a Roman crucifixion. Yes, Jesus died on that cross. He didn't just faint. No one ever lived through the human form of execution known as crucifixion. So the angel saw the ladies and said, I know you seek Jesus, which was crucified. You saw it. It happened. He is not here, though, he goes on to say, for he is risen just as he said, verse 6, he's not here. For he's risen. Remember what he told you. Come, see the place where the Lord, past tense, lay. And go quickly, go quickly, kick your heels, make haste, and tell his fearful disciples that he's risen from the dead. Behold, he goeth before you into Galilee, there ye shall see him. I have told you. And they departed quickly, no kidding, from the sepulcher with fear, trembling joy. Great joy and did run to bring his disciples' word. This is what the Greek kind of lets us know. This is a trembling excitement, a, a joyous fear. Why? <laughs> because the tour guide, the angel, the angelic tour guide has just given them the first tour of the empty tomb, some of us from the church were able to see whether or not that was the place. We saw the empty tomb, and and it's just amazing. The angel gave the first tour. Come, see the place. The linen clothes lying exactly in a cocoon form, the head dress right where it was. The body had vanished through the clothing. There was not a grave robber that tore everything apart and stole the spices or took the body. This created trembling joy because if this is true, and it must be, there's only one consequence or only one reality from this. It must be that Jesus has risen from the dead. Early in my life, I came to realize something, and I want you all to hear this. Either this book is true, there is a God in heaven, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid, either that's true and he's living, or B, none of it's true and none of it matters. You can't kind of live in the middle. Either he is alive, and if he is, everything he said is validated by the resurrection. And so one day you will meet him, this living Lord. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. So although he came as a lamb and gave his his life and his precious spotless blood on the cross, 
One day he's coming back as a conquering king. And you will meet him. If Christ is risen, they began to tremble with this news. And they began to tremble with what they saw. Don't you to miss this. Christ died for our sins and rose again from the dead. They realized that their living, their Lord was alive. No longer is he captured in this tomb. They began to run with this exciting news. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. This became the, really the watchword of the early church. We've seen him. Our eyes have been opened. How has this truth changed your life? I think there are two or three responses to this great news. Jesus said to them, verse 10, Go tell my brethren, don't be afraid. Tell them the good news that you have met with me personally. This is after he meets these ladies on the road as they depart from the tomb. They stop and they worship him. They know who it is. The familiar voice, the body, Christ. They reach out and touch his feet, the nail-scarred feet of Christ, and they know. He says, don't be afraid. This is the most exciting moment in their lives. And there are, I think, in the text, two or three responses. There are those that rejected this news, and maybe you're that way this morning. It's a story to you. It's a myth. It's a religious story. Some people believe it. Some people don't. You, however, don't. You're taking your chances with this story of the living, this narrative of the living Lord. Others resisted it because of doubt. They wanted more evidence, and still others embraced and received it. Listen, I'm telling you something. One day you're going to meet this living Lord again. And if you have not received Him as your Lord, if you're not trusted in this news that He died for your sins, was buried and rose again for your justification, if you reject that, for you, all there awaits is a sad eternity in a place where you will be separated from Him eternally, a place the Bible calls hell. Yes, it's a literal place. So it's important for us to understand what category we're in. Have you received it by faith, this news? Have you kind of, are you kind of in this tweener zone where you're kind of resisting, trying to get more information? Or have you rejected it out of hand? Some of you are following the news about a coming... Well, the vaccine is here. Many of them uh, have been already administered. The vaccine passports, we're talking about a passport to heaven. How has this truth changed your life? I'm told some countries will not allow you to travel soon without what's called proof of immunization for the coronavirus. Good, bad, or indifferent. Shop records are not new, especially in international travel. But what is interesting is the global push because of a shared health crisis of what's called universal digital credentialing. That's a big mouthful there of words. Universal digital credentialing where your health history, especially your immunization history, is universally profiled via technology in a shared global database. And I'm not saying that this vaccine passport is the mark of the beast. Don't get me wrong. What I am saying is there's coming a day when not only your medical history, but your political, religious, gender preference and identity will be universally known and shared via technology in an instant. 
so that unless you are acceptable religiously, politically, philosophically to the world community, the international or global community, and we know who's going to lead that in the end times, you will not be able to shop, uh, shop or travel or eat or live in certain places. And the reason this message is critical this morning is that there is also a heavenly passport. You cannot be ambivalent about Jesus Christ and expect one day to waltz into heaven. You cannot resist him or reject him and expect one day to get your passport stamped with glory. Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh to the Father except by me. Are you washed in the blood? Are you? Is your passport stamped with the precious blood of Jesus Christ? If you're resisting, if you're rejecting today, one day you will be resisted and rejected in glory. Are you sure that you're sure that you're saved? We will look briefly at these three responses and then we'll go home this morning. All right, that's my promise to you. I ask the question, in which category are you? But the truth of the resurrection ensures this word is true, that our leader, our God, our master is indeed the Son of God. He is everything he claimed to be because he alone conquered the grave. Preaching is not about simply the transference of facts alone. Rather, it's about wrestling with truth and with souls about eternal matters. Preaching is jumping up and down at the mouth of an empty tomb and saying, because he lives, do something with the truth of the empty tomb. Don't keep whistling and walking on by. Say, that's interesting. Your response to the resurrection determines your eternal destiny. The angel said to the ladies, the tomb is empty. Jesus lives. And they ran, trembling with the news. They didn't say it's mildly, mildly interesting. <laughs> they didn't say to the ladies, I mean, the, the, lady, the angels did, responded to the ladies. And the ladies didn't say, well, huh, that's, that, that's interesting. I, I, you know, that's okay. No. They responded to this great news, and they, they ran. Wouldn't you? This tomb is different than any other tomb in the world. It's empty. Go to Buddha's tomb or Muhammad's tomb. It's Their tombs are full of bodies or dust by now. I hate it when people don't get excited about good news. Church, are we flat-footed about this great news? We were passing out some flyers yesterday about Easter services. And we were only mildly excited about that. What will people think about us? And then we realized we hold the greatest news ever. I didn't say we started skipping. But isn't it wonderful to know that you're saved and that you can tell others about the good news? I, I like it when folks get excited about the gospel. I saw my wife driving down our road. We kind of live on a long back road there, Farmer Drive, and 
I happened to be at the end of my, this has been a couple years ago, but I was at the end of my driveway and I saw, and I thought to myself, you know, our lives as pastors and pastor's wife here, just too predictable. And so I thought, I want to shock and scare my wife. So I knelt down by the shrubs by our mailbox where I thought she couldn't see me. And then I thought, as soon as she turns in, I'm just going to jump up. Hey, preachers, we do weird things. I mean, we have a tough life, so we have to do some things once in a while to uh, kind of spruce it up a little bit. And I know some of you are thinking, aren't you too old for that sort of thing? Well, this happened a couple of years ago. I was younger. <laughs> so I crouched down, waited for her car to come right around the corner, and I leapt out of the bushes, cr- jumped up, and nothing. No response. And so I said, what, why, why aren't you scared? And she said, I saw your foot sticking out from under the bush. And I knew it was you. Well, I saw my daughter who was living at, home at, uh, living at home at the time, Whitney, and I saw her following in another car right immediately down the road too. I guess they were out different cars together. I don't know what they were doing, but here comes Whitney. And I said, here's my second chance. So once again, I pulled my feet in this time, got behind the bush, and she came around and I jumped up right in her face, right there. And I love, 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 love what happened. She hits the ceiling of her car, in her car. She grabs her heart. Her eyes bug out and she hyperventilates and she screams. And that's what, now that's what I was going for. (laughs) Don't ho-hum your way past the empty tomb. Even though you've known the truth for years, this is the best news ever. Christ is alive. This news ought to be motivational, revolutionary. The only question is, what are you doing? How has it changed your life? One thing to know a truth, another thing to appreciate, love it, as the one song that we sang, the last hymn, are we leading a thank you life for this wonderful, life-changing truth? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15.3 that he died according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and rose again, according to the Scriptures, that He will come again according to the Scriptures. In fact, Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, He cometh in the clouds, and every eye shall see Him, and they also that pierced Him. All kindreds of earth shall wail because of Him, those that rejected Him. Yes, many have rejected Him. I, I, I just put this slide up because many live with their eyes squinted shut to the truth of the resurrection because... They don't want to live under the authority of this God. There's a spirit of unbelief in their hearts. We either welcome Him, receive Him today as our Savior, or one day we will weep and wail at His appearing when He comes again, and He is coming again. You will regret the day, if you're here this morning, or you hear a message where God offers to you His salvation Whosoever will may come, and you say, no, 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 one day you will see him as a conquering king, and you will find out that there is truth to every word he said, and it would be too late then to receive him. Sir Francis Newport, an atheist, had some last words before he died. He never changed his mind until he was dying 
And then he, it was too late for him. He said, you need not tell me there is no God, for now I know there is one. And that I am in his angry presence, you need not tell me there is no hell, for I'm already slipping into its fires. Well, there are those in Christ's day that hated and rejected him. Matthew 27, verse 62 says they were gathered together. Let's look at that verse, Matthew 27, 62. They came together, these who had conspired against Jesus, and they came to Pilate. And this is after, after the crucifixion. They said, Sir, we remember that that deceiver <laughs> said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise. They knew. Their doctrine was great. Their heart was in the wrong place. Command, therefore, Pilate, that the sepulcher be made sure to the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away. These are those that rejected Christ. Pilate, put Roman soldiers around that tomb. Seal it. Don't let this thing spread that he's risen from the dead. So the error at the last will be worse than the first. So Pilate said to them, you have a watch. Four soldiers, every four hours, they would rotate around the clock to watch the tomb. He says, you have the watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. Imagine, I always smile when I get to read that. <laughs> try to close the tomb of the living Lord. Just try it. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sepulcher sure, sealing the stone, setting a watch. If you reject Christ, you know, I must say this, all the evidence in the world cannot change your heart if it's un willing to believe. You can array and align all the forces of your heart against God if you want to, but He's going to bust through that tomb. <laughs> He's coming up. But you, you can look at the miracles, the earthquakes, even the resurrection itself. They later paid, didn't they? Verse 11 after they hear the resurrection, what do they say? The, 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 the soldiers came and said, listen, he, he's alive. He came, he came out of that tomb. And then they said, hey, we're going to pay you off. Verse 13, say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. Instead of looking to the soldiers and saying, I, I, I guess we were wrong. I guess we shouldn't have rejected him all along. I guess... I guess we, we really have hard hearts of unbelief. They said, no, even in the light and in the face of all this evidence and your testimony that he came out of that grave, instead of saying he's alive, we want you to tell everybody that the disciples stole him from the tomb. How hard is your heart? Are you rejecting Christ? Over 150 times the Bible validates by countless infallible proofs, verifications, eyewitnesses. Paul says at one time, 501 place, 1 Corinthians 15, saw the resurrected Lord. What does it take for you? What is it going to take to break your heart if you're an unbeliever this morning? As he said, and shall he not do it? Has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Religious rulers shut their eyes to the truth because their heart was hardened against it. We remember, they said, what he said. 
that he would rise again, but we rise up against that truth and reject it. Then there is not only those that reject, there were those that resisted the truth. These are both believers and non-believers. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Matthew 28, towards the end of this book, you see that in verse 17. The disciples got the news. They heard too. When they saw him, that's amazing, isn't it? That's fascinating. They worshiped, some did, but some still were resistant. Their eyes were kind of squinting, half open. Prove it. Disciples, followers, they longed for more confirming signs. After three years, some of them had followed Christ for three years, and yet they wanted more, more confirming evidence. It's not enough that you're resurrected standing before me with scars in your hands and feet and side. I'm still resistant. God is patient with these. The word doubt in the Bible, the word doubt there in verse 17 comes from the Greek, distadzo, to turn something over and over in your mind. This is uh, revolutionary news. They've never seen this happen before. And so they're still on their heels a bit. They're in doubt. It's an honest question for some. They want more assurance. Maybe that's your case this morning. It might be Mary in the garden saying, if if you have taken my Lord, tell me where he is. I want to believe that he's alive. It's the disciples on the road to Emmaus saying, we were hoping that he was the one that would deliver Israel, but we're not sure. We've heard these, these rumors that he's alive, but we're not sure. What did Jesus do? He confirmed from the Bible, right? From the prophets and the law, everything concerning himself. And slowly their hearts began to melt. That, that doubt, that turning over, that questioning began to melt away. And finally they said, did not our hearts burn within us? We were so close to him on the road to Emmaus. And now we see our eyes are opening up. Maybe you're in that category. You're, you're curious. You're circling the fire. You want to know more. You want to love God, but you're not 100%. Like Nicodemus a bit. It's Thomas saying to the ten disciples, unless I see the scars in his hands and his feet, I will not believe. I'm not so sure yet. To each of these doubters, Jesus comes with confirming assurances. He doesn't scold them. He wins them to himself. To Mary weeping, he just uses her name. Mary, that voice, I know. I heard that voice when I was not in an audible way, but in my spirit, when I was just a child, he called my name. And I recognized him as the master and Lord of the universe of all worlds. He came knocking at my heart's door. And I said, Master, Sir, you've been pursuing me as a young child. I said, will you please enter my heart, forgive my sin. I received that gift. He's pursuing you too. And maybe you're resisting. What does it take for him to confirm slowly? He will add line upon line, precept upon precept, until you, in humble submission and realization of what he's done for you, confess your sin and receive him as your Lord and Savior. He knows your name. 
Mary, she fell to her knees. My Lord and my God, just as Thomas did. He didn't really have to investigate all the scars when Thomas personally met the Lord. He said those famous words, you are my Lord and my God. Some doubted. I am, the Lord is saying to you this morning, who I say I am. The resurrection proves it. There are some under this point that are also doubting and they are not believers. They are unbelievers, but they're curious non-believers. I must stop here because in our church today and every church, there are those that have been around the truth a long time. Your eyes are half open. Perhaps you're an unbeliever this morning. You've been around church, around Christians, around prayer meetings. You've seen God do great things. And you're curious. You're actually attracted to that. You've even taken a trip perhaps to Israel, gone to the empty tomb. You've looked around Georgia in springtime and even admitted no one can make the dogwoods bloom or the azaleas blossom or the wrens sing. There's a wren at our house that every morning at sunrise wakes us up in the spring. I love that bird. My wife, not so much. I love that that bird is singing the only song it knows to its creator in spring. And I wonder why I don't sing. I who have been redeemed by grace. It's maybe because my neighbors wouldn't appreciate it. Six o'clock in the morning, me stepping on the porch. God is good. (laughs) He's alive. But isn't your life really A song of grace? It is. Maybe you're an unbeliever. You've been circling the fire, but yet you're resisting. You come today with a friend. You've seen the empty tomb in the Scriptures. You know it's true that God must be God, that He died, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And yet you've decided to put God off. Maybe some other time, You know He's God. You know He loves you. You know you need to receive Him. You know He died for your sins. You know He's pursuing your soul. You hear that that whisper in your conscience that says, this is the time. Now is the accepted day, but you're resisting. You're saying, maybe some other time when I get older, right before I die, then as fire insurance, I'll reach out and grab that golden ticket The Bible said today is the acceptable time. And I plead with you, you are resisting Christ. Come to Him today before it's too late. Sin confessing, Christ receiving. Let Jesus come into your heart and save you. That's why He came. He loves you, dear friend. The Bible confirms that. The empty tomb confirms that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ should make us step out of the shadows. It should cause us to proclaim, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, no matter what men may say. Christ the Lord is risen indeed. Another hymn I love is this, Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. The rejectors, the resistant, must give way to the receptive. You must stop being ambivalent. Receive Christ with your eyes wide open. There were those that received the truth. Blessed are those, uh, the Lord would say to Thomas, after he came and, 
and said, Lord, I just want to see your side. I want to see your feet just to prove to me that you're the one you claim to be. And Thomas was told by the Lord, it's okay to see me in the flesh. That's wonderful. But none of us were at the empty tomb, were we? We trust the word of God. And if we've come to faith in this generation and this time, it's because God has given us faith to do so. We've exercised faith. Blessed are those that have not seen, and yet their eyes are wide open to the truth of Scripture. If you're sure that you're saved this morning and know it, I want to see your hand right here in public. Amen. Isn't it great that somewhere along the way, God in His Spirit opened your eyes to your sin and your need, your bankruptcy and His grace? And these are those that receive, before it's too late, the truth of Scripture. Matthew 28, 9, the girls first to the tomb, early risers, were rewarded as those first to see the Lord. And on the road, on the road, um, He meets them. And verse 9 tells us what He said. The first words to them, these ladies, after rising again from the dead... Just two words here. All hail. We don't talk like that much, but the word simply means Cairo. It means all grace or grace. All. He reassures their hearts. All is well. Grace to you. I'll tell you something as we close. How sweet is the sound of grace coming from the greatest gift giver ever. God's riches poured out at Christ's expense. That's what grace is. Ladies, grace to you. Let grace overwhelm your hearts. My love for you, my obedience to my Father poured out on the cross makes heaven accessible. Fear dissipate. Grace to you. It's the message of our lives. We've been touched by grace. All is well. Sin's penalty paid. Exhausted and full upon the person, the sin-bearing Lamb of God. Now risen from the dead. He is Lord of all. The ladies recognized and worshipped Him because of grace and truth that were met together in the person of the crucified, risen Lord. My sin Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Don't you love this one too? Death cannot keep his prey, Jesus my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph or his foes. He arose the victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Do you reject this truth? Are you resisting it, doubting it, turning it over and over in your mind? Do so no more. Run to Christ. He extends to you grace. Receive it. Believe it. And enjoy it. Amen? Let's bow our heads together, our hearts together.
Father, thank you for the message of Easter, message of the risen Savior. Thank you that you bring to us grace, fully expressed in the person, fully manifested at the cross, declared triumphant at the empty tomb. And Lord, with our heads bowed just for a moment, time of inner examination of our hearts. Maybe you're here this morning and you would have to say, I am not sure. I'm still in that category that's resisting. I'm doubting. I'm not. I'm curious. I want to know more. Pastor, here's my hand. Pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I want to know more. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that at all this morning? The message was for you. God loves you. He died for your sins. He invites you now to come to Him for the free gift of grace that He offers to you. You can't pay for salvation. You can't do that. He did it for you. Just by the lifted hand, say, Pastor, I'm sure I'm saved, but I want to know more. Pray for me. I won't embarrass you. Just put your hand up and then put it down. Believers, are you living a thank you life? You've received that gift by faith. Are you leading a thank you life? Maybe by the lifted hand this morning, you say, Pastor, pray for me that the song of my heart would be always and only about the resurrected Savior. Pray for me that I'd be more bold in my witness. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Amen. Thank God for that. May we live in the light of that wonderful grace. We're going to have the ensemble come if you'll just look this way, folks. And the ensemble is going to come and sing a song before we close. And I know you'll enjoy the truth of it. Appreciate your attendance here this morning. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Pastor Lauren Regeer at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you.